Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Beyond the Cover. I am your host, John Robb. Unfortunately, I will be flying solo today. My co-host, Jeff Ayers, just texted me like a half hour ago, and was like, I'm sorry, i got something I'm doing, so I'm going to be doing this solo, but that is perfectly fine with me, because I'm very excited to talk with Shannon Kirk, and she is the author of Vibrary Grove, which is book two in the Method 1533 Thriller series. You might remember Method 1533 as the first book in this. Well, you thought you heard the whole story, but you have not, because she will be on here in just a second to talk about book two, again, Vibrary Grove, which is out now. want to remind everybody that all of our shows are brought to you by Suspense Magazine, so visit suspensemagazine.com for more information, and also Kensington Books. So please make sure you visit kensingtonbooks.com for more information on what they got going on. So now that we got all that wrapped up and out of the way, without any further ado, I would like to welcome Shannon to the show for the first time. So Shannon, thank you so much for coming on. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. And you know, full disclosure, I am Shannon's publisher, as many people might not know that, but we did publish Vibrary Grove under Suspense Publishing. And... It is one of those thrillers that, boy, when you pick it up, especially when you go back to Method 1533 and you look at Vibrary Grove, it's a little on the darker side. Um, I do say it's not for everyone because it is a little on the darker side, but I love that kind of stuff. So give us a little bit, Shannon, about what you got going on and kind of the thought process behind the uh, series so far itself. Sure. Yeah, and thanks for um, thanks for taking on Vibrary Grove. I Of course. I, yeah been great working with you and Shannon. Uh, so I guess, so to start off, the Method 1533 series centers around a main character. I'm going, I'm going to just call her main character because if you haven't read the first book yet, that if I say her name, it might give something away. Okay. But, uh, but anyway, our, it centers around our main character who has been in the first book, in Method 1533, kidnapped, and she's pregnant, and she's 16. And, but she has a really unique psychological profile. She might be labeled a sociopath, but she's not really, because she can turn on and off emotions uh, individually. So that's her sort of unique ability. And so... The question I sought to answer in Method 1533 was, how does a person with that psychological makeup uh, react when being confined in a small room and pregnant? So really vulnerable. Any other young girl in that situation who's seven months pregnant would be vulnerable. But would a person with this psychological makeup really be vulnerable? And I think you would find in reading Method 1533 that actually, no, she she makes it so that the kidnappers are the vulnerable ones. Mm-hmm. And then you fast forward to Vibrary Grove. I wanted to, uh, it, and I, it, yes, it is darker. I intentionally made it much darker. So a couple of things about that. Method 1533 um, got a lot of accolades, and I was really happy about that. One that I was most happy about was the School Library Journal gave it a starred review and said it was one of the top, I think it was 2015, adults for teens. And so a number of schools actually put Method on their list of recommended summer reads, and, and that was nice. 
and I was happy to have teenagers involved in the book and reading it. But if you go to that Vibrary Grove, I, I definitely don't think that the SLJ would um, recommend this for teens now, although, I mean, they recommend <laughs> everything for teens now. True. But, uh, <laughs> is which is great, and I have a teen, and I promote whatever you want to read, read. Um, but, uh, but, but now our main character is 34. She's 18 years later. Did I do the math right? right? 16 plus 18? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I'm not good at math. Um, so it's 18 years later, and... This time, she still has the same psychological makeup, but I wanted it to be different in scope and atmosphere. So the first book is confined to mostly one room, right, and then sort of one building. Uh, and she has just a short amount of time to get out, it's like say about a month. But in this latest book, it's actually... Uh, her trying to get back at the bad guys, and she has 18 years to do it, and the whole world at her disposal. Mm -hmm. And so what happens in that scenario uh, with with this same character? And so that was, that's the progression uh, that I went about. Mm -hmm. in, well, it's definitely it. a different kind of exploration into the psyche mind of when you go back to the main character in 1533, and then you come into Vibrary Grove, it's the same person with two totally separate mindsets at that point. The first one, it was get away, stay alive, how can I get out? And the second one is like, now I have 18 years, how am I going to get these bastards? So exactly. you kind of had to change a little bit in your, in your character. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, yeah and she's, she's older now, too, and she's more, you know, uh, She's definitely more confident in her own self. She's unapologetic for the way that she That's is. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> She's definitely unapologetic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But so. now, I guess the question is, what was the pull at the beginning to even want to really, I guess, dive and think about the psychology of how this was going to affect not just the main character, but also people around and how this was going to maybe move forward. Was i just curious to know, like, what was it that, that even got you excited to even start Method 1533? Sure. I had, um, it was odd because I, at the time, had written um, a completely separate book, which has since been published, which is not a thriller at all. It's more in the sort of life of pie, whatever that is, genre. Okay. Um, and so while I was waiting to get an agent for that and I was doing the whole query thing, I picked up um, The Psychopath Next Door. And I apologize, I can't remember the author's name. I do I'll not know that one either. Okay. Yeah, it's a, it's a, uh, I'll, I'll look it up by the end of this. But it's a really fabulous nonfiction book by a, a psychiatrist or psychologist. I apologize, I can't remember right now. But it's about um, psychopaths and sociopaths, and it's fascinating, and it lays out case studies, and it lays out statistics and factors and everything. Um, you know, it, and she says what we all know, right, which is that basically a lot of your CEOs and managers, et cetera, 
have this same psychological profile. And, and then you said it was the psycho next door? The, the psychopath next door, I believe, is the title. Or the sociopath. Socio, wait, is it? There's one by Martha Stout called the that's sociopath the next door. Yes, apologies. That's it. It's sociopath okay. next door by Marcia. Martha yeah, or Martha Marcia? Stout. Yeah. Came out in 2005. That's it. It's really great. I couldn't put it down, right? And okay. anyway, I couldn't put it down, and then I just kept thinking about it, and I thought, all right, well, there's a lot of great serial killer novels and movies out there. There's Dexter, there's, True. you know, American Psycho, et cetera. They're classics and fantastic. And I thought I wanted to do one, but I wanted it to be a female, and mm-hmm. I wanted her to be young, and I wanted to put her in a really vulnerable situation because I thought, like, well, how do they get out of that? Because usually our entertainment around serial killers is male, which makes sense because the science is mostly male. But um, but they're usually the ones that are totally in control of the, of every situation. And so I wanted I wanted to start her off as not in control and totally vulnerable. And so that's that's where it came. That's how it started. And okay. That's it. And then, and then it just from there. grew. Yeah. yeah. And now when you decided, okay, you know, Method 1533, out, they're out, they're doing their thing, and then you start sitting down and say, well, let's explore now because, again, this is a totally separate psychology that you had to kind of go with. So did you know when you were writing 1533 that you were going to do Vibrary Grove? Or did it hit you later after it was done? Oh, no. I never in a million years thought I was going to do a book, too, for Method. No, I didn't. I um, It just sort of grew because it had done so well. I mean, I think we sold in 20 or 22 languages. We had the movie deal. Um, I did write the ending with the, you know, there's obviously an opening for serialization since she owns well, I won't say what happens in the end of Method 1533, but I did open it with that option. I gave myself the option. Um, and then when the book actually took off internationally uh, and with the, with the option, you know, then, then people were like, well, you might as well just write what to another one. So, you know, it came, that's how that happened. Okay. Yeah. But... You know, that's not, I mean, now you've written a couple other things too in Gretchen. You've written in the Vines. And, you know, they're, they're just a little on, you know, the different side as far as what Method 1533 and Vibrary Grove are. So how would you kind of categorize your writing? Would you put yourself in a certain genre? Would you say you're more of the, I guess, psychological suspense horror genre? <laughs> <laughs> that's an awesome question. Um, so, uh, you know, I think the business folks with the publishers would fight me on this, but, like, because I, I, like, really fight hard to not be categorized because, honestly, mm-hmm. I don't really know the answer to that question. Um, I think that across the things that I have published so far, there's, you know, there's, there's vigilante justice, if that's a genre. 
There's psychological thriller straight up. There's some horror elements. And then I've got my other one out there that's not in the mystery crime at all. At all. Right? Uh, I've, I've written some poems that other authors have taken and put in their own work. So I don't really know how to categorize what I am other than to say I guess it would be a mix of gothic slash psychological thriller. Okay. What do you think? Yeah, I, that's why I'm trying to piece together because it is more like psychological suspense. And, and the reason why I say horror, and I know people kind of say, oh, no, well, because horror to me is not gore. And I think that mm-hmm. I separate horror and gory. So when people, and I'm like, oh, that's a gory book. You know, that's a different than a horror book, which is scare you to death kind of book. So that's kind of, and I don't know, I don't know, horror is kind of a weird thing too because I always say horror has no rules. Mm-hmm. You can do whatever you want. You can do anything you want at any time you want because there really is no rules in that. And that's kind of how I got, because there's really no rules like Vibrary Grove and the, there's not a lot of rules that are in there, which is good. That's why it's kind of hard to label it a certain yeah. genre. But that's kind of why I put the horror genre in there. I kind of just capture it that way. Yeah. But that's me. I'm, I'm, I'm a weird one. No, I love that. I mean, yeah. I, I love having the horror label. I do. Yeah. I, I, yes, that's Be- great for me. Because <laughs> I always say the best horror movie I've ever seen out there ever for me, and this is for me, is the original Halloween. And that oh. had zero bit of gore in that movie. And people are like, what are you talking about? I'm like, there's no blood in the movie. They're like, yes, there is. It was, he was slashing. And I go, no, watch the movie. John yep. Carpenter had no money. He had no blood. There was, everything was done off of what you didn't see, the yep. music, and just seeing his face. It was the entire movie, people. <laughs> Scared the shit well, out of me. I know exactly what you mean. And so, yeah. you know, the, the, the worst horror I, and it's still to this day, I can't even think about it. It's this movie called Julia and Julia with um, uh, Amy Adams and Meryl Streep. No, 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 no. Uh, that. That's okay. As a guy, that's kind of horror to me, though. I got I had to watch it. Uh, it's Julia and Julia is with um, God. My brain. See, it's the it's it happens. Brain, like you know, it's um, virus law brain. Nothing, nothing is nothing is. goes on right now. Maybe I'm not even thinking of it. It's it's. But was it just uh, so gory? Was it just too much, no, and the story gets convoluted? Totally, totally um, psychological. It's essentially. I'm probably getting the name wrong, but um, it's it's just this awful freaking movie where this woman has had a loss in her life. Okay, and it's unclear whether she just lost her husband or she lost her husband and son. And that, for some reason, that bit of it, that part of the psychology is one part that's horrifying. But okay. then she goes through this tunnel one night, and the next day she goes to work, and she truly believes that this husband and son are still alive and they're back home and – so she goes and she's like living with them and mm-hmm. believing it, right? And then she goes back through the tunnel or something and then all of a sudden they're dead again and now she's dating somebody else. 
she's dating this guy, whatever. It's all this wicked, huge confusion over what's real, what's not real. And in the end, she ultimately stabs this real guy who she's dating in real because she she got herself so twisted in this fucked up world and kills him and winds up. The final scene is she is in uh, a mental institution. Right. But anyway, the way that it's done is so off. It's just unsettling, right? Yeah. Because yeah. they characterized her in the way they did her character. You could identify with her. And you just, I remember thinking as a teenager watching like, oh my God, that could happen to you. Like you could think that your world was this one way when it wasn't. And it's, it's sort of like the beautiful mind thing, right? right? All of that stuff scares the hell out of me. <laughs> like that to me is horror. And so right. this movie exactly. Started... Yeah. Exactly. Um, I mean, you know, and, and, and I just think that's, so, and, I, and again, I, I think people see the horror label and they're like, oh, it must be a certain way and this, and I'm like, no, people, that's not what it is at all, but... You know, it's like with anything. I think it's just a matter of how you perceive it and, and how whatever label you want to put on. But I'm always curious with authors and how they kind of perceive. And a lot of authors do the, say the same thing. They're like, well, I'm not really this. Or I'm, not, I'm, I'm more like – it's always more like a like – oh, what's the word? See, now I don't know words either. It's almost like – it's a, kind of like a compound thing. Like it's like, oh, I'm a suspense, thriller, psychological person. So they always like compound it kind of down a little bit instead of just saying, yeah, I write thrillers um, to that thing because there's always some underlying motive behind them. But how is your writing process? Do you do a lot of outlining? Do you do, I mean, I, I, how much research do you have to do for a book like this um, mm-hmm. also? So give us a little bit about uh, that background of, of how Vibrary Grove kind of uh, started percolating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so Vibrary Grove, I did do, I did do a little bit more research for that because there's some science around mechanical energy in there, which is real, shockingly. Uh, and I know there's scientific character, right? She's she owns a science lab. So I would say, I don't know how many hours I spent on research around her. I do, I did research for both books on the senses. A lot of her character is built around uh, the theory that emotions are just another sense. And so when she turns off emotions, does that mean that all of her other senses are heightened, Right. Her, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah true. her sight, and I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't lay it out so literally uh, in in writing the book, but that's sort of an underlying sub theme is why she's so good at what she's doing, right? Well, she's uh-huh. suppressing one sense, and now maybe her other uh, senses have a better acuity. And so, I'm not a scientist, so I I read um, a hearing book, uh, the sound science book. A lot of this Vibrary Grove has to do with sound science, mechanical energy, um, and then just basic research on how to dispose of a body, right? Yeah, uh, right. So I had to look into that. <clears throat> um, uh, sh- at one point in Vibrary Grove, she goes to Shanghai, and I have gone to Shanghai, and 
the features about Shanghai that I have in the book or things that I observed personally. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I wouldn't say that that was writing research. I just used it as writing no, research. It's observation I, yeah. and real, so yeah. Real. I, I had to go there for work, so I, you know, used it for writing. Take, take a notepad and a phone and <laughs> write some shit down. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. So, yeah. But as for outlining, um, Method 1533 was not outlined at all. And the big twist that happens in Method 1533 just popped in my head one day when the book was actually done and I had to go back and rewrite the whole second half. Yep. Um, Gretchen, uh, however, which is my gothic horror thriller, I totally outlined. Um, and the book that I'm writing right now, which I'm calling Hadar, is outlined, but that's only because the book is totally vivid, every single thing in progression in my mind. And uh, so I, I sketched out the different chapters in an outline. But, okay. you know, it's all over the place. I'm not really strict about anything. And frankly, I could wake up tomorrow and have a completely different ending for Hadar and throw it all away and start over. And, and now, of course, you know, you have a day job, and so writing is such a full-time gig. So how much time are you able to kind of spend working on, on books? I mean, are you, are you one of those ones who gets up early in the morning and writes before you go to work, or do you stay up late before you go to bed? Uh, you don't have very many weekends. <laughs> you know, because writing a book takes several hundred hours. Yeah. So how, how is that process for you? Well, I had a different answer before the pandemic, honestly. Um, and I'm just struggling now to come up with a new structure. Before the pandemic, I was able to get writing in because I traveled a lot for work and commuting in and out of the office mornings and nights. It was just really whenever I could cram in an hour or two here and there. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I have a son, but he's 16, and before the pandemic – he had a lot of schoolwork and basketball, et cetera. So, you know, I kind of, um, I kind of had more, I had a little more time. I do have a day job as an attorney, so that can be demanding sometimes, but I'm in right. litigation. So it's, you know, there's, oh. there's, you know, up and down, up and down. Yeah. So I've just learned to accommodate and, and be nimble with my time. But now, um, with the pandemic, it's, you know, I, I don't, first of all, there's no travel. Um, I have almost no structure at all to my days anymore. Right. And I'm finding that after 22 years of working with intense structure and multitasking uh, intensity, um, I, I, I have to learn a new way to manage my time, John, frankly. Yeah, and I I'm not you. doing a good job of it. Yeah. I'm failing. I can hear it in your voice day. right now. You're like, I don't know what I'm going to have. And I'm like five seconds away from cracking the fuck up, so stop asking me. Yeah. Yeah, like I don't know. I, I know. really, I don't. Yeah. I I'm get you. I did, it's, it's a struggle. But I think the one thing is that trying to use this time maybe as a way to – more ideas or maybe see some different things. I think that's what I'm doing a lot trying to – because there's days I wake up and I'm like, 
because the problem with working from home is is that you never leave your work. Yeah. That's the thing I've noticed. Right. I'm always at now I'm always at work. Yeah, exactly. So some days I wake up on a Tuesday and I'm like, I don't feel like doing shit today. Like yeah. I, like I'm always doing something and that's the thing. And you can't get away because it's like what do I do? Just sit around and watch Netflix all day? Hell, I couldn't do that if I tried. I, know. I can't stand binge watching TV. So I get yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. So, you know, but speaking of like Netflix and Hulu and Prime, what are you watching? <laughs> are you watching anything interesting? Uh, well, we just finished Dead to Me 2, which I loved. Okay. Yeah. And um, we have to find a new series, actually, for – got a 15-year-old to please myself and my husband. So if you have any suggestions. Well, Shannon and my daughter just started watching this series called Upload from Prime. Oh, okay. You know, I'm the wrong person to ask. Um, about <laughs> movies because I I either watch live sports well that's that that's done or I'll watch Murder She Wrote Law and Order Ridiculousness <laughs> Columbo or Food Network that's it that's really all I watch um, and and it's because and we were and we were talking about last night because they started watching Upload and they're like oh this is really funny and and I'm like yeah the first five episodes are always really funny and then it gets freaking stupid. To me, because you've eliminated all the little cutesy things of this is all new and this is all this, and then it just becomes right. stupid. I do not care about your life. I always care more <laughs> about the plots in those TV shows. I don't care about your life because your life has to be the way I look at it. Lives on the TV shows for these characters have to be so extraordinarily over the top. Otherwise, you're like, well, why am I just watching some normal person's life, you know? But so they got to make it so grandiose and so this and so. And I get bored. I get yeah. so bored right, that I can't right. do it. Right? No, I, I'm I'm actually a lot like that as well. I it really yeah. takes a lot for me to stick with it. I think the one the one show that I thought every single season. I mean, there's a couple, but one that really stands out for me. Mm-hmm is Veep with Julia Louis-Dreyfus. That, that to me, is the best show. Okay. And it's just scathing satire season after season. Um, I've heard of it, but I've never, it was, and I, I just never got into that one, I, but I have heard of it. Yeah, it's, that's a yeah. good one. So, anyway. Yeah. See, because, I mean, I, don't, I'm, I, I never ask a woman's age. I'm not sure how old you are. I turned 50 this year. So I, you know, grew up in the, late 70s, early 80s, watching those shows, and all of the shows were basically the same, right? It was 30-second clip of yeah. what you were doing, and if you, missed a, if you missed an episode, you didn't have to go back, unless it was one of those be continued, you know, but you didn't really have to go back and catch it. You didn't care. You just watched right. the next one, and the next one, and the next one. So that's where I grew up watching TV, and then everything, then everything started changing, and it was oh, you know, well, if you didn't watch the last episode, then you're going to miss out. And then it was like, well, wait a second. Because I, I was playing so much sports and doing so many other things that I just was like, well, if I didn't catch the first one, I'm not going to go back. I'm, I'm just not going to do it anymore. And then, then the binge watching came, and I'm just like, I'm just getting fatter sitting here watching all this binge <laughs> shows. <laughs> like, I can't do that either. No, so i got to exactly. buy my time. But, yeah, I, and, and, but, you know, and books are kind of the same way for me. Um, that's why I'm not a huge series guy. I don't yeah. like ongoing series that have no end in sight. Bores the shit out of me. Yeah, I, 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 you know what? 
if I get into a series, I'll read it and I'll love it. But I have, like, I have so many standalone books that I want to read. I feel Me like too. I can't get into a series because I have all of these other standalone. Exactly. You know. I mean, I. You know, we get 10,000 books a year, and I got oh. books galore on my shelves, and we have to give so many things away. And I'm sitting here, and I'm looking right now in my office, and I must have a 1,000 books on my bookshelf that either to review or just whatever. And, I, and I'm like, I can't go back and start reading, you know, yeah. book one of Jack Reacher and start trying to catch up with 27 books. I'm like, no way. I'm not doing okay. it. Big deal. <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's kind of my James Bond syndrome. I mean, see, I'm an odd duck, and you're talking to Shannon, and you're like, why did she marry such an odd duck? Mm-hmm. But, you know, because she's more grounded. But I'm odd, and the fact of, like, when I watch James Bond, I no long, I don't get anxious whenever he's in a predicament, because you always know he's going to get out of it. It's just a matter of, for me, the story going forward, not about, is James Bond going to live or die? Because that's, so I, so whenever they put him in those perilous situations, I'm like, all right, just get out of it so we can move on to the next thing. Right, right. I know, I know. I, I'm, I, yeah. I wish I could read, frankly, any fiction right now, whether it's a series or yeah. not. All it's I can tough. read. What? Yeah. It's All tough to get your brain into anything for me. You, do you know the only thing I can get my brain into? And it's insane. I've read what? so much during the pandemic. I read nonfiction about major financial crimes, and nuclear power reactor failures. For real. Is that for for work or is that just a palate cleanser? It's like what I can read, I totally focus on it. It's the only thing that I can read at night before I go to sleep. Oh, because you have, okay, because it puts you to sleep. I get you. No, actually, no, I stay up like two, three hours a night. (laughs) What are you doing? I don't know, John. It makes no sense. But... It calms me down. I, think I get you. I think it's because in my mind, I, I don't know. I've convinced myself this is the reason. I think it's because the shit that happens in these financial books is so crazy. And the crap that happens in the the nuke failures like Chernobyl, Three Mile, Three Mile Island, right. et cetera, are so bad that they're worse than what we're going through right now in a way. True. I mean, if you look at Chernobyl, I mean, you can't even get around it. And luckily, that never happened to Three Mile Island. But I remember growing up when I lived in Ohio, and that was in Harrisburg, and they were talking about, like, oh, my God, if this thing explodes, is it going to come this far, and is it going to go away? I mean, and I lived in Columbus, Ohio. Harrisburg was like an eight-hour trip by car because I used to drive to Jersey all the time. And it was like, you know, eight hours, probably more like seven with the change in the speed limit. But... It, it was not, and so we were all worried, like, oh, my God, is this thing going to come this far? How far is it going to go? I mean, it was really, really, and then all of a sudden, what, three years later, Chernobyl happened. And you're like, shit, that's what could have happened to us. I know. That was what I know. Yeah. Yes. That Chernobyl, so the, the Chernobyl book, um, Midnight in Chernobyl, mm-hmm. that, I honestly, I could not put that down. That was so well done, that book. Right. Kudos to that author. A lot of work went into it. Really, um, you know, it was just fascinating, the science and everything and the research that must have gone into it. But, uh, yeah, anyway. What are you working on now? Are you working on anything new? Um, You know, Shannon hasn't told me, so I have to ask. (laughs) (laughs) Well, 
So I am working on I'm working on a standalone. I think I will call it a psychological thriller. It's called Hadar, and okay. I love this book. I really love working on it. It's really about it's really just about this woman who's in her 40s, and she um, is stalking a man at night every night, a man that lives in her neighborhood, because she's convinced that he has that condition. It's a real condition uh, where he believes he's a vampire. So she believes, he believes he's a vampire and is killing people, and so she stalks him. Um, so there's obviously, there's like, there's thriller aspects, there's involved in all of that. But the story that's really vivid to me that keeps hitting and the pieces I keep writing most are her backstory and why is she like this and what happened to her in her childhood. Um, and so, you know, I, I am loving writing. It's set in New England. I set everything in New England. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's like summer New England vibe going on in in this book. You love that exploration, and you yeah. love that exploration of character. And what 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 can I put them in? And then let's see how they react. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yes, I do. That's that's yeah. and that's what I'm doing with this. So that's and and that's really cool. And I think that that kind of keeps you fresh and kind of keeps you know you're writing fresh because every character is going to react some some differently than than they than other ones will. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I want my I do I have been trying to make my main characters all of them are all flawed. Um and many of them like yeah, us. like yeah. all of us are. Yeah. Uh and many of them so the trick the triple Lindy that I try to pull off, I don't always pull it off. Oh, you're going back to a back to the school reference, huh? Back I think to I catch school. that. Did you? Yes, Rodney Dangerfield. Thank you very uh-huh. much. Um, uh-huh. Well, that's because you're from the East Coast, and he jumped off the Jersey Pier, the Triple Lindy, and that's where he was seen. So go ahead. Exactly. <laughs> so, I'm a freaking geek too. I I know. Thank you. I'm I, I'm glad you got that reference. Yeah, but, I got that one. And what I'm trying to pull off is make them flawed, make them unapproachable at first, not relatable at mm-hmm. first, but then try to break it down molecule by molecule, such that you might see this person by the end of the book in a way that is acceptable to you, even though you're probably very different. Um, and I am trying to do that, obviously, with only women characters. Um, other than the Method series, it's mostly women in their 40s who've gone through shit at that point in life. Um, so, that's anyway, that's what I'm just that's my goal. Right. Very cool. Now, the best place for everyone to find out about your work is just your website, shannonkirkbooks.com. Yeah, uh, so that's um, that's where I have all my books, all the buy links, shannonkirkbooks.com. I am also on Instagram at um, shannonkirkbooks as well, and I'm a frequent tweeter. Uh, yes, you are. Well. I love your tweets. <laughs> I do. I love them. I get on like every third or so day and I just start scanning down. I'm like, okay. And then they kind of saves them for me now because I guess I open them so much. I'm like, what did Shannon say today? And I do. I love them. I crack up. Well, thanks. Um, so, yeah, that's where you can find me. I'm not on Facebook anymore. 
I had to leave that Seth pool. Sorry. Yeah, I, I only do Facebook for the business and whatnot. I never put anything personal out there. I mean, I don't do any social media personal. I, everything is all just for the magazine and everything else because I'm just not that personal of a person, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I always wonder. I'm like, does anyone really give a crap about what I have to say? And I'm like, probably not. So why should I tell them what I have to say? And really, I get so my brain gets so hung up on certain things. And, it, 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 okay, just for instance, uh, and I know we're wrapping up here, but this is, this is just like a for instance where I was literally watching a Law & Order, and Adam Schiff, the DA, sits there and he goes, um, they were talking about a case, and they were talking about a, a 13-year-old kid who was helping his friends get to a priest who was molesting them. And Adam Schiff goes, well, he's 13 years old. I mean, you know, he knows the difference from right or wrong. And I sit there and I stop and I go, however, if his high school, if his teacher in middle school molested him, a woman and a boy, you would arrest the teacher going, well, he doesn't know what he's doing. He's only 13. And I'm like, so how can you have it both ways? So I, so I I take things like that and I look at them and I go, that's literally such a hypocrisy statement to say, well, he knew right from wrong from taking boys to this priest about getting molested, but if he gets hit on by his teacher in middle school and decides to have sex with her, it's her fault and not his. Then he's a victim on that, too. And I'm like, wait a second. So it's, it's those weird things. And that's what I would tweet about, and people would think <laughs> I was freaking crazy. That's why, I do, that's why I don't. That's why I don't do it. It's, right. it's rough. It is. It's rough now. I mean, uh, you know, Twitter is is really a different difficult trap. And yeah, they're all difficult in a way. You just make them fun. I just laugh and make them fun and shake I'm my fine. head at the stupid people. And, you know, because that's all you can do. You just shake your head, pat them on the head and say, I hope you wake up one day. But that's all you can do. Yeah. You know, but so but the book is Viberry Grove. It is out now, book two in the Method fifteen thirty three thriller series, and you also have another thing coming out this November, which I'll tell people about because you have a short story coming up in our anthology with Jeffrey Deaver on Nothing Good Happens After Midnight. So that's going to be cool. Yes, I really I was so thank you guys for inviting me to that because that was that was fun. I had fun writing that. Yeah. That one. Well, we're going to be doing one a year now. Um, we're going to have another one coming out next year. Shannon wanted to do all female writers, so we got a whole batch of new people that we didn't do in the first one. Mm-hmm. And Catherine Coulter is the head of that one. Awesome. And we're going to be donating like 10% of the proceeds to breast cancer research. We're hoping to bring it out next October. And, um, yeah, so that should be very exciting. We're, the theme is numbers. So it's pick a number and write a story. Flight number, license plate number, whatever you want to write about. Pick a number and write it. And so we'll see what they come up with. So we got a pretty good lineup for that one, too. That's fantastic. Yeah. So we're trying to do our thing. But it was so great to talk to you about the book uh, and get a little more insight into you because, you know, haven't really done that yet. I know you've talked to Shannon a lot, but we haven't really done this yet, so it's great. We might have been at Thriller Fest once or twice, but I just – I suck with names (laughs) <laughs> Thank God they never put me in charge of finding people on milk cartons when it never happened. Uh, I'm with what you. I'm, I'm awful. Terrible. Look, I couldn't think of, like, several things on this call. No. But you know the funny thing about the milk cartons? And you can maybe what? use it. You know they only found one person ever oh. from all of that? 
it was such a failed experiment that they stopped it because they only found one person ever. So That's really interesting fact. I didn't know that. Yep. Saw that, read that one time on my bathroom reading, whatever. They only found one person ever, and then they stopped it because it was failed. Oh, that's sad. Mm-hmm. But, Shannon, you have a nice night. I know that you got to go. It's late down the East Coast. And, again, I want to thank you so much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure. And, again, Vibrary Grove, ShannonKirkBooks.com for more information. And you take care, and we will talk with you soon. Awesome. Okay, thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank <laughs> you.